Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. Joshua, we have been in a series. We are moving on. I'm sorry that you're like, whoa, that's a, a very abrupt change there. Well, sorry. It's a, it's a long service day. I'm going to try to get us out of here by one, okay? So we got plenty of time. We have been in a series on the book of Joshua. We have been looking at Joshua's life, and last week I said the word circumcision more times than you should probably say from the pulpit. And those of you who were here were part of that sermon, but we had to talk about it because we were looking at when God's people had crossed over the Jordan, God said, all right, Joshua, you need to circumcise every man. They were not circumcised when they were in the wilderness. It was a brilliant military plan that God had. Let's, let's get all of God's fighting men into the promised land where the battle's about to begin, and then let's put them down for about five days, roughly. Well, we, we were looking at that, but we, we spent quite a bit of time in Colossians 2, and we were reminded that what circumcision really is, and how it was all foreshadowing. Colossians 2, verses 11 through 15. In him you also, or you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. There's just another baptism note, so we're kind of tying these two together here. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the power of the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of us of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. We talked about how the Lord takes us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin and makes us alive with Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And then we, we end up circling back to Joshua 5, 9. And I want to read one more verse before we move on today. And it said, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach or the shame of Egypt from you. So the name of this place is called Gilgah to this day. When we come to Christ, the Lord takes the past, the sin and the shame, and he nailed it to the cross, and he wipes it away. And we looked at how when God's people came out of Egypt, out of slavery, how God wiped away and rolled away the shame of their past. Well, today we are going to be moving on to Joshua chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles, please stand with me today as we read Joshua chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to do a little bit of skipping around. We're going to do one through seven and then a couple in the middle and then one, then we're going to finish off on 20. But the Word of God says this this morning. This is Joshua 6, verses 1 through 7. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus you shall do this for six days. 
Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a loud blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shout with a great shout, and the walls of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua... The son of Nun called the priest and said to him, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Verse 7. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Verse 14 and 15. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into camp. So they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was on that day that they had marched around the city seven times. And then verse 20, so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted, with, shouted a great shout and the walls fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord. We look to your word. Father, as we, as we examine this account of you working through, through your people, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would come and minister to our hearts and minds this morning. Lord, help us to understand the plans and the ways on how you operate. Father, we give you praise, we give you glory now, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated here. So as I was preparing this message, um, this message is probably the best message to teach to children. Uh, if you have ever worked in children's ministry, or maybe you grew up in the church and went to Sunday school, this is like the kid's message that if you ever have to teach kids Sunday school, you want to teach them this one. And the reason why is because this is such an easy message to teach to the kids. Because the story is what the kids want to do. I mean, really think about this. Some of you are nodding like, oh yeah, I've, I've taught this story to the kids here. You get all the kids lined up in a big circle, right? And you can build some blocks in the middle there. But you get all the kids lined up and you say, okay, kids, we're going to march around this room seven times. We're going to do it once. And the entire time, the kids are supposed to be quiet, right? Because it literally says in the uh, scripture that they were silent while they were marching there. So you can get these kids and you, you, you have them march seven times. They go around once and you're constantly trying to shush them and be like, okay, kids, be quiet here. But you're trying to teach them this story of Jericho here. And then you march them around seven times and the kids are all happy and then you blow a horn and the kids shout and the walls, they all fall down and everything. It is such a great children's story. And I share that with you because I thought it'd be so good for us today as adults to get our coats on, to go marching around the church. We're going to march around once and then we're going to come in we're going to be silent and then we're going to march around again. And the entire time we're going to be silent and then we're going to march around seven times and then someone's got to get a trumpet, and we're going to blow the horn, and we're going to shout, and we're going to see what the neighborhood thinks of us. That's, uh, that's what we're going to be doing today at church, if you are wondering. But as I was thinking about this story and this account, though it is a great story to be teaching to the kids, I oftentimes wonder, 
do people understand what this story is about? You know, it's an easy biblical story to teach to children, but do we understand kind of what's going on here? Why this? Well, let me kind of give you a quick recap here. And you guys know this by now. If you've been coming to church here, I say this constantly. God's people were down in Egypt. They were enslaved for 400 years. God brings them out of Egypt into, supposedly, into the promised land. They were disobedient. They don't go. That generation dies off. Now we're on Joshua. Joshua is God's leader. Joshua is going to lead God's people into the promised land. They had crossed over the Jordan. The circumcision happened. Now they're going up against one of the most fortified cities in this time. We know from Numbers 13 that when they had sent out spies 40 years prior, the promised land was full of big people and big walls. Uh, Jericho, did you guys know that Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world? And if you've studied archaeology, they study this place constantly. They're constantly digging in Jericho. Well, the Bible teaches us... um, that these walls were big. Well, archaeology has actually kind of showed us how big these walls are. I think I got a picture, Boyne. Do I got a picture? If you can imagine this city. Now, this is the first city God's people are going to be going up against into the promised land. There is kind of two walls there, but the walls were estimated through archaeology digs uh, five to seven feet thick. So I just want you to kind of Imagine that, I don't know. My, my wingspan is six feet, so about this. And about 12 to 17 feet tall. And let me just give you a quick visual. That wall right there is about 16 feet. So you can see this wall, right? And, and there's kind of two walls there. There's the first one. Oh, and also there's a large trench on like, like in front of that wall as well. It's not just a plain, simple, easy wall. It's a very difficult task on what God's people are going up against. They're not trying to bring down a white picket fence. Okay, I just want you to kind of get this visual on what God's people are going up against here. But this land, this is the promised land. God had promises to Abraham. And God said, you are going to dwell in this place. This will be your land. Well, Jericho is huge. Now, they kind of studied... How can you take a city with walls like this? You know, if you're going to go into battle, how do you, how do you possibly defeat this place? Um, has anyone here, is anyone Lord of the Rings fan? Am I like, okay, I, we got a couple of hands and the rest of you are like, we're not dorks, so we don't, we don't watch that stuff. Well, I love Lord of the Rings, and I, as I was thinking about Jericho, there's so many scenes in Lord of the Rings that kind of help us understand these walls that they're going up against. Some of you can already like, you know, like I think it's the return of the king. There's so many episodes. But if there's really only scholars and historians believe there's only really five ways on how to take a city like Jericho. You could use ladders, which means God's people could make some ladders and you could put the ladders up against the wall, and then you could climb over. Well, that entire time while you are going up ladders, uh, the enemy would be shooting at you. you. You would lose a lot of lives. Another one, you could dig. You could try to dig. Uh, Jericho was, uh, was built on, on bedrock. It would be very, very difficult to be digging. But scholars believe that if you were going to take a city at this time, digging would be an option. 
You could also try to smash through the wall. Uh, that would be a very difficult option as well. Uh, you've got a six-foot concrete, well, not really concrete, it's like mortar and rocks they've got, you know, I mean, it's thick. It would take you a very long time. You could also try to starve out this city, meaning cut off all supplies. It's one city, they need supplies coming in and supplies going out. You could cut off supplies to the city. Or you could try to deceive them and try to draw them out of the city. Try to set up something to, try to get them to open up a door and then try to, like a sneak attack on them. I share all this because God's people had been wandering in the wilderness for about 40 years. And now all of a sudden God's like, all right, you guys are going to be taking Jericho. And the wall and the city that's sitting in front of them is absolutely massive. But who has a plan? God has a plan. God has a plan for his people. Joshua 6.3 You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do this for six days. Seven priests, in verses 4 and 5, seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and they make a loud blast with the ram's horn. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the walls of the, of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall go up, and everyone straight before him. The Lord has a plan in this account. As you read this, this is not Joshua's plan. This isn't a team of experts coming together saying, okay, we've we got to take this city, we need to brainstorm. Nope. God has a plan. God has the solution to what is lying before his people. But am I the only one who thinks that this plan sounds crazy? And my thought is like, this is how my mind works, whether, and I realize I'm half crazy. Um, but my mind works like, okay, there's estimated a million people there. Did anyone else like hear Joshua share God's plan? And, and did anyone else say, this sounds crazy? I mean, like, really think about this. So you're telling me, Joshua, our plan, um, we know that this city's got big walls, we know that this city is heavily like, fortified. Our plan is to do some marching. Yep. That's God's plan. God's plan is an absolute crazy military strategic plan. If you are in the military, if you've ever tried to plan out plans on how to attack, um, I'm just thinking of us like being like, okay, we're going to invade Berlin and it's 1944. What's the plan? We're just going to walk around. You know, we're just going to just like, you know, it's just going to happen. But it's so fascinating, guys, that this is God's plan. And what do God's people do? Okay. Okay. God, this is your plan. I think this plan's crazy. I don't really understand it. They didn't have to understand it. The whole point of this story is that God's people just said, yes. God, your plan sounds absolutely insane. I don't understand it. We're literally just going to walk around this city and then on the last day, we're going to walk around seven times, and you want us to shout? That's, that's our big weapon, right? Like, I mean, I mean in, in the human flesh, 
in the physical realm, this seems insane. And I share this with us here because when you think about how the Lord operates, and we see this time and time again throughout Scripture, God's ways and God's plans are nothing like ours. We can't even imagine how God works. You know, God's people, they, they were down there in, um, in uh, Egypt. What was God's plan? We're going to send some plagues and... Um, we're going to just do a mighty work down there. I mean, they could not even have imagined how God's plan was going to unfold. And you see that. Now we get to the Red Sea. God, what's your plan? I got a plan. Don't worry. The sea, it's going to part. Joshua, leading God's people. God, how do we even get into the promised land? Don't worry. I got a plan. See, guys, time and time again, God has a plan. And the job of the people is to trust his plan. That's, that's where I think the difficulty comes in. And trust is basically faith. I love how like Hebrews 11 recaps this. He says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. This entire account here is really simplifying. God has a plan. And God's people listen to the plan. God's people obey the plan. Even when the plan sounds insane. Even when the plan sounds crazy. I talk a lot about my buddy Josh. And, you know, when I think about him, if you do not know Josh, he's a missionary to Kyrgyzstan. Uh, Him and I live together in Wisconsin. Josh had a wonderful life. He had a great job. He was at a company about 23 years. He had a beautiful five-acre farm on a hill, absolutely gorgeous. He had a pasture. His house was basically paid off. His life, he was the living, the American dream around us. But God said, Joshua, I got a plan for you. I want you to sell all this stuff and go to Kyrgyzstan. God's got a plan. And his people have always been called to get on board with his plan. See, too often, I think we kind of struggle with our own plans. And it's like, guys, church, God has a plan. And it's our job just to be obedient to the plan. And you might be sitting there thinking, and young people, you might be, be sitting there thinking, well, I'm just trying to figure out life. I'm trying to figure out what the Lord has for us, what the Lord has for me here. What is his plan? I'm going to make it very, very simple. And this, I'm going to sound like a broken record because I preach this often. God has a plan for his church. His plan for us is to invite others into his kingdom. That's his plan. We see this play out in the book of, book of Acts. I love Acts. Acts chapter 1. This is uh, verses 6 through 9. So when they had come together, they asked him. So Jesus has now been resurrected, and the disciples are now asking Jesus, Jesus, what's the plan here? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Let's pause right there. I want to give just, I struggle reading verses without giving a little bit of history, okay? I realize if you're getting bored in history now, I'm sorry. They wanted Jesus to bring Israel back to its glory days. King David, 
right? Like when Israel was God's, God's chosen nation, they wanted that to be coming back. So they're sitting there talking to Jesus. Jesus, are you going to bring this kingdom back? Are you going to restore Israel? Jesus said to them in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he said these things as they were looking on. He was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus says, I got a plan for you. Twelve. Your plan? Go to Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit. He's going to come. And as you read the book of Acts, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes. What happens? They are his witnesses. Then what happens? 3,000 people come to faith that day. 3,000 people. And it was like God's people were just obedient to the plan. And as I think about us, church, as I think about us today, God's plan is still getting carried out. And I know I say this a lot, but I'm telling you, God's plan for you and for me is to be his witnesses about his kingdom and inviting others into his kingdom. It may not even make sense at times. You may be like, well, I don't, Pastor, I don't know the words to be saying. I, I'm not a very good speaker. I can't r- really do this. And it's like, if we're just obedient to the plan, what happens? God works. Jericho, you're going to march. Okay, we're going to march. How is this going to work out? I don't know, but I'm marching. They were obedient to the plan, and then God does a mighty work. And I think it's same true for us today, church. God has a plan. His plan is within his word. He's given us his word. His calling upon us is to come and submit our lives to him and to his word and to walk in obedience to it. And then God works. It's amazing how God works out his plan. And he's got a plan for you, for me, for this church. But I would say his highest plan is always inviting others into his kingdom. And then he works. It doesn't even make sense, right? Like, like when you think about it in the physical, like, okay, God, so you want me just to, just to love people and to, to care for them and to live out obedience to your word, and then you want me to just, just share with them, just share with them who you are, what you've done, how you died on the cross, how you, how you rose again, and God says, yes, and then watch me work. See, I think sometimes we think that, oh, well, you know, like, if we screw up this plan, and it's like, if we just live out his plan, he works. Who transforms lives? Do you transform lives? Do I transform lives? No. God transforms lives. He just calls us to walk in obedience to it. And for, for Jericho there, it was like, just march and watch me work. And then he worked. And I share this with us today, church family, because it truly is that simple. I think sometimes we try to make following Jesus real, real complicated, and, and it's like, it's, it's that old saying, trust and obey, for there is no better way. I think that's a hymn. I'm going to have to follow that one up. Joanne's like, yep, yep, yep. And it's like, it truly is. When you really think about it, it's like God calls us. He transforms us. He just calls us, tr- just simply trust me. Obey the plan. And then he works. It's not even us. It's him working in us. 
And it's amazing. And I want to be challenging us this week. I know the sermon has gone a little bit long, so just hang with me here. I want to be challenging us this week to be men and women that simply trust God's plan. His plan is is very simple. Invite others into the kingdom and then watch them work. And I think that is the greatest calling upon His church. That's what what we are called to do. That's how we're called to live. This week, you're wondering, Lord, I don't even know what to be doing this week. I'd say just go back to reading His Word and just living it out. God, you called me to be a witness, I'll be a witness. You called me to forgive, I'll forgive. You called me to love, I'm going to love, Lord. Father, help me. And as we live that out, He works. He does amazing works within our lives. And, and He literally, He wants you to be a part of that amazing work. And I want to just invite you into that work this week. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to sing about how great our Lord is as the worship come, team comes. And I want to pray for us now. Pray that God's Word will, will be settled in our hearts and minds today. Father, we come to You, Lord. I thank You that we could gather, that we could worship You today, Lord, that we could seek You, that we could look to Your Word. Father, I ask, Lord, that we would be Your church, Your people, that simply live in obedience to Your Word that simply live in obedience to your plan. Even when your plan sounds crazy, Lord, help us to walk in faith each and every day to the work that you have for us. Father, help us to be obedient to your word. Lord, for your church, for your people to honor you. Lord, we come, we praise you. Lord, as as we sing and declare who you are today, I ask for you to seal your word into our hearts and minds. I ask this now in Christ's name. Amen.